I think the, the sort of the kindest way of describing me in the context of this room is very much as a non-expert, at least when it comes to ethics. I am a statistician and a geneticist, and I've worked in the, the field of using genetics to understand human disease and to identify sort of opportunities for new therapies or to better sort of pr predict where people are on their trajectory. I've done that for, for many years. Um, and over the last few years, my role has shifted uh, a bit from purely being someone who was doing research to someone who has been thinking about the kinds of infrastructure and the kinds of communities that you need to build in order to make sure that this growing part of biomedical research is sort of done well at the university level and translated well and ethically, of course, into practice. And so behind that is my, very much my role as the director of the Big Data Institute, which is one of these recent, um, now not quite the latest, uh, new centres to, to have appeared within the University of Oxford. For those of you who don't know us, we're, we are a, a physical thing. We're a new institute, a new building up the hill in the Old Road campus. And there's, a, there's a, somewhere between 350 and 500, depending on you how you count people within this institute, but who are united by um, this, the desire to uh, use a data-driven approach to understand the causes of human disease and identifying routes to intervention. So we're entirely dry lab, we're entirely computational as it were. And really what we are about is creating this fuel for AI. Now we've heard a, an awful lot about the sort of the ethical issues of how you actually use AI in context and, and the sort of the regulatory or, or the legal aspects around that. Perhaps what we haven't heard quite so much about is the process by which you can acquire what is the fundamental part that has to go into any AI, AI process, which is very much the data itself. Within the Institute, uh, just very briefly, there are four types of things that, that we do. First is about how we measure things, the sort of measurement technologies. The second is about how we bring all those data together to create the research ready, the analysis ready data sets that our researchers uh, and others can come and in, in, peer into and try and identify the structure that ultimately leads to these new insights. We have people from statistics, computer science, engineering, epidemiology, genomics, et cetera, developing methods that, that is, if you like, the, the AI algorithms, which are going to peer into this, uh, these kinds of rich data sets. And then finally, and probably why I'm here, is that the fourth pillar of what we do with this institute is to think hard about the much more, the wider societal aspects of this data-driven landscape. So issues around consent, issues around privacy, security, issues around governance, issues around sharing intellectual property, and so on. And we made a decision right at the start of putting this institute together that this was something that we wanted to go on actually in the building. It's such an integral part of doing biomedical research these days, and the issues that, are, that, that come out of this kind of research is so deep that if we don't train people in how you should think about conducting this kind of research, 
and you don't build the right practices into how people are do prosecuting the research programs, actually at the point of, of implementation, then you, you've kind of, you're starting on the wrong foot. So we very much put that at the heart of the Institute. Much of ethos is based within uh, the, uh, the Big Data Institute. And we very recently, we got funding from the EPSRC to set up a new uh, Center for Doctoral Training in Health Data Science. One of the key pillars of that program being that these data scientists and machine learners and so on would be trained very much alongside all the other skills in what they need, in the skills to think about the problems from an ethical um, standpoint. So it really, really is um, central to how we, we think. And if anyone's interested in use cases, you know, coming up to, to us and talking about uh, the, the types of problems that we're working on, the types of dilemmas that we're faced with, then please do get in touch. We, we'd be more than happy to talk. So I just want to say uh, just a couple of things about at least my sort of personal perspectives on why the types of research that we're doing now, which is very much within the tradition of biomedical or medical research, why those are a bit different and why they're raising new challenges from, uh, from the sort of the ethical perspective. And I think a really important point to start, which is perhaps not so well understood, is, is actually that the growth of AI and machine learning technologies within <laughs> biomedical research has really led to something of a shift <laughs> in how medical research itself is conducted. And this comes back to this question of data and how we, how we get the data. So it used to be that in medical science, you had a hypothesis. You, you decided, I wanted to test some particular question, and off the back of that, you designed an experiment. That experiment gave you some data, you analyzed the data, and on the back of that, you made some conclusions, and maybe you, you sort of came up with a new hypothesis. Importantly, those data were collected specifically for that purpose. And you went out and you explained to people why you were going to collect that data and what you hoped to learn to come out of it. That's a very clean way of doing science, but clearly it's not massively scalable. You, there's one question that you can ask of those data and essentially only one. Now about 10, 15 years ago, biomedical research sort of took a side step. It changed direction a bit in how it collected data. And a lot of that came out of the world of genomics, where people realized that who had been studying how genes affect diseases. They'd been studying sort of their favorite gene and their favorite disease in a particular combination. And the literature was full of incredibly bad results that never repeated and were massively underpowered. About 15 years ago, what happened was a change in technology. It's always changes in technology that start things. That led to our, us being able to experiment not just on one gene in a handful of individuals, but the entire genome in tens of thousands of individuals. And that led to this idea that rather than going in with your specific hypothesis, actually the most powerful thing is to go in without a hypothesis. You go in and you just collect data and you let the data tell you what the answer is. And that idea has very much percolated from just thinking about 
well, let's study the whole genome and one disease. The genome-wide association studies were essentially that idea, to the idea that you go in and you collect the genome and you collect everything that you possibly can about an individual's health, their environment, their lifestyle, their finances. You just collect everything you can. And later on, you decide what the research question is. Now, the success of this program is sort of made real by something called the UK Biobank, which many of you will probably know about. But about somewhere between one and 2% of the adults within the UK have consented to have their entire medical data, their entire genome sequence, and huge amounts of auxiliary information about them, their lifestyle, their cognition, their, their parents, sometimes their children, huge amounts of information made available to people like me and people like you and people in companies and people in China and people in the US. All you have to do is to, to sign up to a very few sort of restrictions about what you're going to do with the data. You have to say roughly what you're going to do with the data. You have to say that you're not going to try and identify these people. But beyond that, it's really not very much that you have to say that you're going to do. And as a consequence of that, there are people all over the world probing the tiniest details, the most intimate information about half a million people within the UK, some probably indeed within this room. So it's an example of how our way of doing research is really shifting. This shift is exactly what enables the whole AI revolution in medicine and healthcare. But it, of course, brings up all sorts of questions about what it means to be informed about a research project which has no end, what it means in terms of um, can, you ever, uh, can you ever comprehend the sorts of things that I might learn about you if I bring together lots of sorts of information that you would never have had? And what, what would you like to know if I could, for example, predict whether you're going to get Alzheimer's disease in the next 10, 20, 50 years? Huge amounts of, of new challenges arising from it, which we're only, I think, just beginning to, to scrape the top off. With that, I shall shut up. Thanks very much.